Every story needs a hero, and every story needs a villain. Welcome back to Hero and the Villain. My name is Drew. I want to thank the listeners that are consistent that might be wondering where's the new episode. If you live in the Pacific Northwest, you know over the last weekend we got trapped in this giant heat bubble that was insane and my residence was basically cooking for three days straight. Under this heat bubble of high pressure, low pressure, this weather system that made it record high temperatures here and impossible to want to even think about doing a podcast. And I had this episode ready to go and then this happened. So it was a very crazy ass weekend. So thanks for tuning in tonight. I appreciate it. So I had this idea a while ago for this episode I wanted to do something kind of fun. I've had a lot of heavy topics lately, and I personally can use a fun episode every so often. So a long time ago, there was this guy, Sigmund Freud. I don't know if you know who that is. That's sarcasm for the psych diehards out there who hasn't heard of Freud. But anyways, a long time ago, he helped sprout a billion and one different ideas in the practice of psychoanalysis. Now, one of which that is widely implemented still to this day and explored is something we touched upon in one of the way back episodes of this podcast, Defense Mechanisms. Even recently when we were talking about projecting. But there are many defense mechanisms. We all dip into them in various points of our life to certain levels of intensity. I do. I did it today, actually, if I'm thinking back to it. I probably will at some point tomorrow or maybe next week. It's just what we do. There's so many of them and there's so many different ways they are applied, some healthy, some not. So what are they? Well, if I wanted to get all of them out in a podcast, I would need about three hours or so of your time and that would be me talking at high speed and that wouldn't really make for entertaining podcast listens for my listeners. So, <laughs> so we're going to kind of do this in a different way because I have this great idea. Why not figure out a way to put these complex, why not figure out a way to put these complex mechanisms into an easy to visualize and understand format? Now, back on episodes six and seven, we dove headfirst into comic book heroes and supervillains because that's fun, right? And it's something a good chunk of folks can grasp since characters like Batman and Joker have been with us for decades. So I got to thinking about films and books that have characters that are timeless, cult heroes, cult villains because you can't forget the villains, that have had a huge impact upon viewing or reading. And one in particular I keep coming back to, which is one that many psychologists and therapists and podcasters have referenced, is Fight Club. 
a lot has been said about the book Fight Club and more so the David Fincher film adaptation. It's not only a huge best-selling book, but a cult film for the ages, really. Edward Norton as Jack, that's what we kind of call him or refer to him as. Brad Pitt as the anti-hero Tyler Durden. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter as the incomparable Marla. Even all the supporting characters that were in the film were able to be so effective that they bore the whole into our collective brains. So 99% of us know the tale, right? If you don't and you want a big fucking spoiler, well, here you go. Uh, Jack, Edward Norton, is a working professional who is beyond stressed and depressed. He has no friends, no girlfriend, pretty sure no cat. He just works, buys shit, and doesn't sleep. He starts going to men's support groups, uh, faking diseases and ailments to blend in, and once he's able to feel at ease and safe, he's able to, you know, to cry and express emotion, and then he's able to sleep. Marla, who's a wild card of a woman, starts coming to these groups, clearly not fitting into men's groups. Jack calls her out as a faker, as a tourist, as he says, and with her there, he can't sleep anymore. While in a mega bout of insomnia, Jack meets Tyler Durden on a plane, gets his telephone number, and later on, after Jack's apartment mysteriously explodes, he calls uh, Tyler for a place to stay. From there, Jack and Tyler's interactions uh, of mischief and male bonding lead them to start the underground fight club. Now, Jack is still his low self-image Jack while Tyler starts fucking Marla. Tyler starts taking full control of Fight Club, thus pushing an even more destructive agenda. Jack attempts to stop it, but not before it's revealed that Tyler is really Jack's alter ego and thus takes full control of Jack until Jack confronts Tyler and effectively kills him by taking back full control of himself and rescuing Marla from his own foot soldiers. So there you go. That is a quick summary. There's so much more than that. Go read or watch the movie. Go read the book or watch the movie now uh, if you haven't, because I'm going to dive even deeper into these fucking spoilers. So here we go, because this is where the fun part starts. And the nice part of this is the fantastic Ruth uh, Sherubin, Ruth, I hope I pronounced your name correctly, of the blog Films Deconstructed did some absolutely great breakdowns of the movie and various defense mechanisms Jack used during the story. So we're going to combine our collective forces here for the rest of this episode. So Ruth, thank you for doing that article. Uh, You're going to hear a lot of your pieces of wisdom and thoughts uh, from that article here. So I'm not going to take full credit for it, of course. And this was like a lot of fun to mesh my own stuff with hers. So first off, let's look at Jack's initial issues. Why don't we? His complete lack of connection with anyone has left him in this pool of deep emotional distress to where he either can't stop buying random shit for his filing a cabinet of an apartment to where he either can't stop buying random shit for his filing cabinet apartment, as he says, or he can't sleep, 
first off, compulsive spending is a coping mechanism where someone ties their self-worth to what or how much they buy or spend. Uh, they show issues with knowing their own identity and thinking buying shit that they don't need will fix it. This is shown where he's buying furniture left and right from Ikea catalogs. You remember there's a very cool scene panning through his apartment where the catalog basically comes to life and fills his place up. Now, people in the real world do this when they have a low self-image or self-esteem issues, typically seen post-breakup when they don't feel like they're good enough. They'll just buy a bunch of shit. Or in trying to play scorekeeping with the rest of the world when they might lack you know, close interpersonal relationships. The second, Jack has bad insomnia. The spending has roots in depression, as does his inability to sleep, and anyone that hasn't been able to sleep before can relate to this. You could say insomnia was his shadow self rearing its head, saying, danger, problem below, something needs fixing ASAP or else some bad shit's going to happen. Or insomnia was Jack's subconscious telling him you better uh, confront what's wrong or this isn't going to get any better. And we have talked ad nauseum about that great defense mechanism known as avoidance on Hero and the Villain. And avoidance is at the root of many of Jack's problems. Or it's a stem of the root, I should say. Now, Jack's Two biggest issues are low self-worth and avoidance, or a.k.a. fear. A sense of shame for having this boring-ass, lonely life. Everything after these two things are made apparent and opens up all his other issues, and many are shadow-related. So, thankfully, Jack finds comfort in going to men's groups at his doctor's request, because his doctor's not going to give him any sort of medication to sleep, even though he fakes having various issues like testicular cancer or blood parasites, he's able to build a small support circle. Thus, he's finally able to get some sleep. Anytime we, as people, real people, are able to get some relief from stress, we calm our inner chaos and our minds can shut off to where we get good rest. Doing so lowers our stress, a.k.a. cortisol levels, and the brain and the body slowly heal. The problem with Jack was he didn't do this in a legit way, which is why it was so easy for him to dip backwards. Enter Marla. You might remember the scene from the movie, and she ruined everything. Now, Jack can't cry while Marla's in the groups. There's a lot of reasons that could be looked at, but here are a few. Ruth from Film Deconstructed, mentions that Jack is attracted instantly to Marla, to which I agree, mostly because he, deep down, he seeks female companionship, which he's lacked in his life, but he is threatened by her a lot due to she is free in all the ways he is not. Remember that line? More on that later. While Ruth points out brilliantly that the reason Jack finds peace in getting... Uh, giant man breast hugs from Meatloaf's character Bob is due to his subconscious desire to have a female companion. I would add that he stops being able to cry because he likes her, doesn't know how to act around females. Maybe that has to do with a poor relationship with his mother or you know father, one of the two. 
and he doesn't want to cry in front of her and appear vulnerable. Crying to him in front of Marla equals uh, some sort of failure and thus shame, which we've discussed how men's great fear of not being a success or strong is tied to shame uh, in the eyes of potential mates via the teachings of Brene Brown, of course. So here we have the lack of real connections in Jack's life. Avoidance, seen also, by the way, when Jack says Marla can only uh, go to certain groups on nights where he's elsewhere, and shame for lack of self-worth. Now, remember Edward Norton's character. Jack is bland, boring, uh, by-the-book kind of guy. Marla gives zero fucks. She's cool, edgy, um, you know, is a exploded thrift store of a fashion sense kind of lady, complete rebel, anti-establishment. You know, his roots in not being good enough for her lies in his refusal to break free from his drab existence, right? To become who he really wants to be. As John Kim would explain, which we've touched on John Kim's work before, it's a matter of his pseudo-self versus his solid self. Even though Marla is exactly what he needs in his world, somebody that's opposite to help him break free, he's scared to death, as many are, of changing his routine and the way he is. So here's another defense mechanism, reaction formation. This is where you act the opposite of what you're really feeling. Jack hates Marla for being a tourist when he really likes her. Okay? And he, of course, also is a tourist or a faker. So it exposes him and his false self. So keep in mind that Marla goes to these groups for a reason as well. She wouldn't be there otherwise. Uh, she has broken parts that she's trying to fix. Deep down, she also wants some sort of a connection. Now, Jack convinces himself that he hates her, though deep down, he wants her more than anything. He can't sleep and effectively starts a huge psychological war within himself that ramps the story up. All right, things get more interesting. Now, we people use defense mechanisms to protect ourselves or when our... ID or super ego asks too much from us. Defense mechanisms, they work at the unconscious level to stave off any uh, emotions that are the hardest for us to face and deal with. They're normal. Everybody does them. They're natural. But they also can lead to anxiety states, fears, phobias, hysteria, or in the case of Jack, full-blown psychosis. So with Jack, we're stockpiling Defense mechanisms, avoidance, reaction formation, denial of wanting to admit he loves Marla, repression, or the attempt to repress, though let's be real, he more than likely has a lot of other repressed issues. Now, Ruth points out something really essential in that Jack is faced with a choice after blowing up his apartment, which he did do. There's a reason why he blew up his own apartment. At first, he goes... To call Marla, if you remember the movie, after the apartment blows up, he goes to a phone booth, pulls out her number, goes to call her, and doesn't say anything. Right? It would have been a game-changing choice in connecting with the one person that he can be completely free with and happy with. Or, like he did, he hung up out of fear of rejection and 
now we realize he ended up calling his shadow, his alter ego, his made-up friend, and Tyler. He'd rather be around the imaginary vision of himself than be with an actual human. Ruth and I are in complete agreement on this. Marla and Tyler are, in essence, the same person. And his subconscious had him have Tyler adapt the traits that he found the most attractive in Marla. But hanging in with Tyler initially is the safe choice because Tyler would never reject him, right? A large part of this is the ability to see your choices in front of you and simply being afraid to make the best, healthiest choice. That's mindfulness, and he ignored it. Now, Jack could have simply just started doing what John Kim says, living a through-me life and creating his stance, but he's living in such a fear of disrupting the sad life that he has, he'd prefer the defense mechanism of compartmentalization, trying to be the hero by day and villain by night. And this one I'll dive into a bit. Not only is compartmentalization a word that I struggle with saying, (laughs) it always has been, but I'm I'm getting better at it. But it's often something balanced people can do well. Now, Say you want to leave your work life at work so you can relax during your time off. This is a great way to do it. And it is a defense mechanism, but often one of the ones that can work for healthy people. Jack in Fight Club is not a healthy boy, though. And eventually, all his defense mechanisms start crumbling around him. Thus, more and more of Tyler's run over him or that shadow parts of him. Now, in the real world, when people aren't able to compartmentalize work life, the stress of it will infect other areas of peace and soon worry, anxiety, and stress are all over the place, consuming your time and energy. Then the fight or flight is activated and everything we talked about in that anxiety episode happens. Jack is a perfect character for people to relate to. Whether you are rich or not, cool or considered dorky, working a job you love or hate, you can identify with various parts of him due in part to his use of defense mechanisms, which he uses out of uh, self-love worth issues and fear. Many people wish they could leave their sterile job for something more fulfilling. Many people want to find true connection. And when something is perceived as a threat or rattles us or aims to make us vulnerable, we deploy one or several defense mechanisms to try to cope with it. Jack tries all of them without doing any real work. Now, in the Freudian sense of things, the mind has these tried dueling forces, the ID, superego, and the ego. The ID is the unconscious and primal that's used for survival, empathy, and procreation, or to eat, love, and fuck. Jack's internal anger at himself it manifests as his id and shadow rolled into one face which is tyler durden he doesn't want to take responsibility for his own strife so he decides the world is an issue and the powers that be are the reason for turmoil as ruth points out this is another defense mechanism externalization he thinks that by trying to change the outside it'll change the inside And from there, his primal side starts lashing out his ID. And since he's so worn down from not sleeping, his natural natural internal defenses 
which we all have, the ego and superego, which would normally make you go, that's not a good thing to do. That's not a wise choice. Uh, those things are gone, which those are supposed to keep us in check. And if they're not functioning, a lot of bad shit can happen. So he rejects these violent ideas that he has out of shame and disassociates those parts which manifest as his Tyler self. Disassociation is a defense mechanism also. The long and the short of it is that Palinuk basically created the most dysfunctional human being possible with Jack. <laughs> if we review him from top to bottom, reaction formation, avoidance, disassociation, a.k.a. disassociative identity disorder, multiple uh, personality disorder, aversion therapy, externalization, compartmentalization, all these defense mechanisms are used due to his extreme disconnect with his true self. All right, so, like I said previously, when you hold shame for your life, when you lack purpose, connection with others, the amount of stress, worry, anxiety you will hold onto will push into your soul and take it to its limits. If you know someone or you are someone who has housed a lifetime of worry or pain or stress, look at the lack of boundaries that you might have in your world, the coping mechanisms versus poor defense mechanisms, shame, lack of self-awareness, self-worth, and self-love. All these episodes we've done thus far explains parts of this character, Jack. And that's also true for us. We all worry sometimes or stress. But if we're letting it get to the point of a character like him or self-medicating or lashing out in destructive ways, it'll just get you further away from any real parts of yourself. Tyler Durden wasn't a cool part of Jack. Tyler was parts of him that he wished he could be. Most of it was a reflection of the parts of Marla he envied and thought he had to have in order to be loved. Jack didn't accept himself at all, his shadow parts, his dark side, but especially just all the parts, all the sides. Jack didn't believe he was worth anything of substance, and it led him to a dark psychological fracture of himself. Though it's just a book or a film or a story, it's not far from the reality many deal with. When we don't do the work of accepting where we are, we will just keep trying to outrun our inner villain. <laughs>